What a great song. What a great song. Give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. Uh, it's interesting. We live in a world uh, where we can have everything, right? Uh, sometimes if you have Prime, it'll deliver it in a couple days. Um, uh, you can have everything, but um, if you don't have Jesus, if you don't have Jesus, uh, it's not going to matter that you have everything. Um, and when you come to die, especially, um, you're going to want to have Jesus. Uh, the things that you have chased after will not help you in that day. And so we rejoice uh, that we are a church about the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we're thankful. Um, I'm reminded, um, I was thinking of vac- Vacation Bible School. I hope that your kids are coming. I hope that uh, you get to be a part of that, and uh, if you uh, want to just come and be nosy and see what's going on, please come. Uh, we're excited. Uh, we realize that Vacation Bible School is uh, just a thing, but it's a critical thing for us because we love kids and we want them to know. And we want them to know now. Uh, we, we want them to be prepared. Uh, what's going to happen next in this world? Some of you have speculated, haven't you? Uh, it's not looking good, right? But uh, you, you, can't, uh, you can't change uh, the world, but you can't prepare your kids uh, for the days ahead. And so that's what we're seeking to do. Uh, we're thankful for middle school camp. Uh, what a great uh, group. I got to go see them, uh, the potential in them and the excitement, the uh, the childlike faith that they have and uh, their desire to uh, follow him and not really knowing what's going to come next. Uh, do you guys remember what it was like to be in 6th, 7th, and 8th grade? Some of you have blocked it out of your mind and uh, others of you have PTSD and you, d- you don't want to talk about it. Um, I agree. So for me, it was I, I went over there and got to see them and uh, it was kind of a weird deal because it was in the hills above Santa Barbara, and so I drove past my junior high, and then I went up to the camp, and it was a weird deal. There were a lot of a lot of things coming back to me that I didn't want to think about. Um, but anyways, what a great group, and uh, as Jeff said, high school camp to come. Uh, we're going to stay busy about the work of God. Uh, you know, the godless commies got caught me off guard last year. Um, and we're just going to keep pushing on this year. Um, you think I'm joking, but uh, I say it with a smile because I don't want to um, be too rough on you all. Uh, but yeah, we're just going to keep moving on. And especially this summer, uh, we, we have things to do. And like I said, preparations to be made for days ahead. And so uh, that's what we're doing. Um, and the summer table is part of that too, that we would gather together and we would be connected and ready to encourage one another and support one another uh, during uh, difficult days, whatever they might be. Turn in your Bibles to Daniel chapter 7. Uh, we're going to continue on. Uh, we, I'm sorry, Daniel chapter 8. Um, one of those chapters in Daniel. Um, we're in a study of the book of Daniel, and we're in a very difficult section uh, talking about Antichrist and a, a ruler Antichrist type uh, that was to come. And I, I want to remind you, as we look at history, uh, 
history is destined to repeat itself. And we talk about learning from the past so we won't go back. And history cyclical and da 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 And I just want to agree with that until it's not. Uh, history is in cycles and there are common themes in in history until there is the end. And that's what we're talking about. Uh, the end. What is going to happen in the end? Uh, where is this world going to? And I know that's hard. I, I think for those of you who are older, you know who you are. Um, I, I think talking about the end is not that big of a deal. You, you kind of look at the end of this world, the end of your life, and both of them are coming fast. And so it's good. It's good. And it's easy to talk about. Uh, as we have trusted in Christ, we know that our soul is secure. But for those who are younger, uh, I think of those just starting out their life or their married life, and they go, uh, how's this all going to work out? And I just want to encourage you uh, that these things are not to be worked out by us, but to just trust in the God who loves you so much, who sent his son to die for you. And so if you can trust him with your soul, your eternal soul, of course you can trust him with your days and your husband or a wife and your kids and some of us are grandkids and are great. You know, we can trust him with all these things and should and should. And so uh, this is kind of where we're at today. History is cyclical until it's not. And history seems meaningless and random events, but as we look at this section and other sections in the Bible, we see that God is working out his plan for his glory. Um, we look at the things of history and we get this health, wealth, gospel type picture in our mind that says, well, if I were God, I would just make everything nice for me. You know, that's the plan that I would work out is nice days for me. Uh, if you're with me, Hank. I appreciate that. <laughs> Hank usually gets what he wants. You know, he usually gets. Um, but as we look at this, we realize that God is working out his history, his plan for his glory. And so as, as we look at uh, these events that are to come in the future, especially at the end, know this, that he has a plan. He's working it out. And that somehow all this comes together uh, for his glory in the end, that uh, really that Christ would be magnified um, and that sin would be shown and his enemy will be uh, cast aside, will cast away really in the lake of fire. And so uh, this is what we do. Let me pray for us as we dive into this passage this morning. God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word and uh the picture of the future. God, it's hard for us to take in as it was for Daniel. Um, and I pray that we would be able to uh, get a picture of what you're doing in the future and grow in our confidence of you. Uh, may we be prepared for the days ahead, uh, not in a sense that we can handle these on our own, but that we would have trusted in your son, Jesus, and that uh, we would uh, experience the, the sacrifice of the Lamb of God, your Son, Jesus, the Lamb, your Lamb that uh, stood in our place. God, we thank you. And so that's the only way for us to prepare. Help us to rejoice at your goodness. Uh, help us not to um, get lost in fear, but rather that we would trust in you and know that in the end, uh, you will win. Uh, 
and we're grateful. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, so uh, this morning, we are in chapter 8 of the book of Daniel. Chapter 7, if you were here, we saw the Antichrist really appear, and uh, we, we get a little bit of a picture of what that's like. And, and I want to tell you that the Antichrist and the things that are to come, and specifically the abomination of desolation, is over and over and over again as we look at the book of Daniel. And really, it doesn't give us many more details, but it points to this being an event and Antichrist being a ruler in these end times, uh, just as before Christ returns and takes over again and really shows his superior rule and also coming in judgment. Where he came in humility before, he will come in judgment uh, in the future. And so last week we saw in the first half of Daniel chapter 8, we saw Daniel had a vision. Daniel had a vision. When I say he had a vision, the vision had him, right? This came to Daniel. It wasn't something that he went and formulated. It wasn't something that he just pictured in his mind. It was a vision from God to him that he would know something. He would know something. And uh, it's interesting that Daniel, he had uh, some, we, we think of him at probably 68, 69 at this point in his life. So he's older. He's older. Um, he, you realize that when he came into Babylon, when he came into captivity, he was somewhere between 15 to 20. Okay. And so if you're 15 to 20 and you're 68 or 69, those two Daniels think differently, right? Uh, you, you remember what life was like. No, some of you don't. But uh, you remember what you can see. You, you've seen young people and you think to yourself, they think differently than I do. Why? Because it's an experience, right? You're, you're putting the pieces together. The puzzle's starting to take shape of what the, the picture and those final pieces. And this is where Daniel's at. So he has already in his life recorded, this is what we know recorded, is that uh, he interpreted a dream similar to this from Nebuchadnezzar, right? And then uh, we have a, a previous vision a couple years earlier in chapter 7. And so Nebuchadnezzar, his own vision a couple years earlier, and now this vision, uh, he's putting things together as he uh, considers what's going to happen in the future and what, how his days fit into this. And so uh, in the first part of chapter 8, we see him uh, have a vision of a ram, uh, a ram that was very powerful and uh, was one that uh, uh, was this two-pronged uh, uh, ram that uh, we're going to look a little bit more at today. Um, two horns, one higher than the other. And then uh, moving on from that in a more significant way, a male goat, uh, these, these animals representing kings and kingdoms. Uh, the male goat with uh, one horn that came right out of the, right out of the middle of the eyes, um, a very powerful one, then going to four horns, uh, and then out of those four horns, one being a little one that grew, grew in great significance. 
And so this is the picture we get, and we saw this last week, and today we're going to really look into the second half of chapter 8, which is the interpretation of hopefully give us a little bit more picture of what this is that Daniel is seeing. Um, and so we pick, it up, pick up the scripture at Daniel chapter 8, verse 15. God's word says this, and this is really uh, his visions, intro, the intro to this vision or interpretation, and uh, Gabriel, the angel, uh, sharing with him what this all means. Verse 15 says this, When I, Daniel, had seen the vision, I sought to understand it, and behold, there stood before me one having the appearance of a man. And I heard a, a man's voice between the banks of the Ulai, um, and it called, Gabriel, make this man understand the vision. So he came near where I stood, and when he came near, I was frightened and fell on my face. But he said to me, understand, O son of man, that the vision is for the time of the end. Verse 18, and when he had spoken to me, I fell into a deep sleep with my face uh, to the ground, but he touched me and made me stand up. I'll stop there. What you have uh, right here uh, is, it says a man speaking to the angel Gabriel. We don't know who that man is, but we, uh, I think we can assume, uh, we could be wrong, that this is the voice of God speaking, to, giving charges to an, an angel. Know this, that an angel is a messenger, a uh, messenger of God, okay? And so he speaks to the angel Gabriel, who uh, Gabriel in the New Testament we see, um, you know, alerting of the birth of John the Baptist and Jesus himself as well. And so we see uh, voice of God most likely prompting the angel Gabriel to explain this vision to Daniel. It's interesting, Daniel's response, and I don't want to make too much of this because I do think that God's comfort uh, through his messengers uh, is something that, that he would do, like he can comfort. But uh, immediately, what is Daniel's response to being in the presence of this angel? Um, he hit the deck, right? Uh, he was uh, thinking that he was unworthy and he could see that. And so in his vision, we realize in his vision, that's hard to picture too as he's seeing these things. So God uh, is speaking to Gabriel to explain but I want you to, to see at the end of verse 17 what he is talking about this vision to be. He said, under, uh, but he said to me, understand, understand, O son of man, that the vision is for the time of the end. The time of the end. I think that's important to highlight. We're going to get little pictures here that this is talking about the end. The end. Now, uh, Remember, Daniel's been in captivity his whole life, his whole adult life, you know, 15, 20, somewhere in there. And now he's 69, and he's been in captivity kind of in different kings and, you know, service to them and like this. So he's been in captivity, not been the place where he's taken from, Jerusalem. He, he hasn't been there. He, he doesn't live there anymore because he's been at ca- captivity. Um, and that kind of represents, Daniel kind of represents, and I don't say in like a uh, typical way or something like that, but like he is uh, one that reminds all of uh, the readers that 
God's people are not in charge. They're not in charge of their city, their, their area. They're not thriving. Uh, there's captivity and ruin at the time where Daniel has this vision. And so uh, you kind of wonder when things take a long time. Some of you lack patience. You know who you are. Uh, no pointing. No pointing at your, uh, you know, your spouse. She's impatient. He's impatient. Um, it's like order. You know, just like order. Some of you say, I just like order. I just like to know what's going on. Um, Daniel had lived his life, his whole life, uh, in captivity. And now uh, he's hearing and seeing a vision of the end, of the end. And so for him, uh, he's going, I'm 69, I'm in captivity, but now I'm getting this picture of the end. He's going to get more details as we go on. Um, in verse 19, uh, I call this the pre-summary, right? Uh, we, uh, it's funny, we, in our culture, and I think it, it does this everywhere in the Bible. I don't want to say everywhere, but like a lot of places, especially the Psalms, where it puts the conclusion up front, and then it tells the details. You, you know why the Bible does that? Because the story is going to be so scary, so scary, that you want to know how it ends. You want to know how it ends. And some of you are going, well, that doesn't sound like it. You know, I like those mystery things like that. And I, I want to tell you, um, it, it's greater than we can imagine. Any movie, any book, uh, because this is real life. This is not make-believe. And in verse 19, this is what it says. And this is kind of the summary conclusion. This is what um, it, is wanted to be communicated through this. Verse 19, he said, Behold, I will make known to you what shall be the latter end of the indignation, for it refers to the appointed time of the end. And what we're going to see here is this, that we're going to see the indignation and the end of it, the appointed time of the end. Um, And what, I was talking to someone before the service, what what we're seeing here is... um, Daniel is, what's being shared with Daniel through this vision is going to be something that will come uh, come about in history as a partial fulfillment and then a complete fulfillment. Or some are, uh, lots of different um, pictures of this, or or words for this. A near fulfillment and a far fulfillment. Or a double reference to what God is doing and a foreshadowing of the future person. And as we talked about last week, in uh, of the Greek world, of uh, the Greek kings, um, you have this one particular king, Antiochus Epiphanes, um, who is kind of in focus in this chapter. And many of the things that are spoken of here reflect his short reign, his short reign. Um, he, he did not reign for years and years and years. I think it was about 10 years, but really specifically like six. Um, and then this being a picture of what is to come in Antichrist. Once again, uh, it says the indignation in the middle of verse 19. Uh, this one event is, comes up over and over and over again. The abomination of desolation. We're going to get into it more in chapter 9. Uh, and it's this one event, this one event where 
in the temple, in the temple, there's this, um, there's this defiling, not just a simple defiling, but a fi- defiling that would ruin the worship uh, and the holiness of God. Meaning, not that God is ruined, but that the place that was set apart for him has uh, been so defiled by this. And so uh, as we look at this, we will see more of this event, this abomination of desolation. Um, in this, we know from history, this is not in the scripture, this is in history. We know that this, this king that was to come, this Antiochus Epiphanes, first of all, uh, I think it was Antiochus IV, this is many times what they did. They just took the same name and uh, the fourth. But uh, he purposely took on the title of Epiphanes, which means God manifest. God manifest. Did you think I thought of himself as pretty high and mighty? You know, uh, God manifest. And I realized that that's not uncommon for kings to think. That's not uncommon for mere mortals, just people like us to think, Right that we are the king. But he took it on as a name, and we'll see through some of the events of his life that he believed it. And, and many have said that, because he followed after the Greek gods, that the specific god that he thought of himself as was Zeus. Not that that matters. Uh, he can think of himself as anything he wants to. He's not. Um, but um, And he's dead. Uh, yeah. Um, that, that, that's a thing, uh, as you think about the pride of man, of boasting of great things, and I'm the best ever, and I am above all, and the, these, these things, uh, when they die and they go to everlasting destruction and everlasting punishment, um, that's the judgment, right? That's the judgment. They, they were wrong. They were wrong. And this is what happened to this particular king. And this is what will happen to uh, Antichrist. And so uh, Antiochus Epiphanes, uh, Epiphanes means God manifest. He probably thought he was Zeus. Um, and uh, he defiled the rebuilt temple in 167 B.C. Um, and in a way, he was taking out, you know, much like... Uh, the conquerors of Nebuchadnezzar that came in and took out things in the temple. He did that. But also uh, he went in and he made sacrifice of a pig to himself or to Zeus, we don't really know, uh, in mockery and um, considering himself a victor and really trying to draw all of God's people away uh, from the worship of the true God. Uh, to worshiping him and his God. Whether he thought of, yeah, it's, it's hard to know if he really thought that, that he had a God or if he was ju- just God. So um, so that's where we're at. That's what is going to come out, this in, in indignation or this uh, abomination and where this fits in the end, in the end. Um, there, it says this too in verse 19 refers to refers to the appointed time of the end um, and and know this that as we look at this passage he's constantly saying we're talking about the end we're talking about the end 
And so even as we look at Antiochus Epiphanes and what he did, uh, that has to be a partial fulfillment or even a foreshadowing of what will happen in the end because it wasn't the end, right? Uh, It was the end of him, but it was not the end of civilization. Verse 20 to 22, we see kings and kingdoms. So remember back last week, he's going to now explain a little bit of what was last week. He says, verse 20, As for the ram that you saw with the two horns, these are the kings of Media and of Persia. And the goat uh, is the king of Greece, and the great horn between his eyes is the first king. As for the horn that was broken uh, in the place of which uh, others rose, four kingdoms shall arise from his nation, but not with his power. And so we see these kingdoms. What was the first one? Uh, Media and Persia. They came together as one kingdom, uh, two horns, one rising above the other. The second one uh, being the the king of Greece or the first king, Alexander the Great. Uh, It acknowledges his greatness, um, but it also acknowledges that he had an end, uh, great one, um, one horn. And then in verse 22, as for that horn, it was broken. Uh, He was gone. He was replaced. And in its place were four others, four sections or smaller kings. Four kingdoms arose, uh, but not with his power, making making sure that we knew that they weren't as significant as Alexander the Great. Um, And then we see in verse 23, another king shall arise. Another king shall arise. I share this with you um, because this is the focus. What we see when he's going through these lists of kingdoms, even in Nebuchadnezzar's dream, even in chapter 7, and, and it's that thing that we, we think in our mind, this is the greatest, what a great kingdom, what a wealth, what a, a great leader, and then he's replaced. <laughs> uh, and no one's going to be like him again, and then he's replaced, you know. And then there's this great, oh, he's got power, he's got control, and then he's replaced. And so uh, these are the pictures of Nebuchadnezzar, of the Medes and the Persians, and of the Greeks as well. And then it gets to this one that will arise later. And we see this in verse 23. And at the latter end of their kingdom, meaning the four, uh, when the transgressors, Transgressors have reached the limit. A king of bold face who understands riddles shall arise. His power shall be great, but not uh, by his own power. And he shall cause uh, fearful destruction and shall succeed in what he does and destroy mighty men and the people who are the saints. By his cunning, he shall make uh, deceit prosper under his hand And his own mind shall become great, and in his own mind he shall become great. Without warning, he shall destroy many, and he shall even rise up against the prince of princes, and he shall be broken, but by no human hand. As we look at this section, uh, this really being uh, a revelation about who this king that will arise will be and will be like. Um, these are the, the things, and there's kind of a list of 10 things 
that we know about this king that will arise. And if you can think in your mind, this will be true of this king that is to come of the Greeks, but it is also true in a similar way of the Antichrist that will be to come. When you think of Antichrist, I want you to just remember that he is a king. He is a king. Uh, He is a ruler that will rule over, really, the known world at that time. There won't be a spot where, um, even as these kingdoms, there won't be a spot outside of his rule. Um, uh, He he starts off in verse 3 saying, The latter end of their kingdom. When will this come? Or when did this come uh, for the Greeks? It was at the last part of the Greek kingdom. Uh, Or I would say it this way, of pagan rule, of pagan rule, not of God's rule, uh, not of God's people, okay? This is kind of being in the lane of all those other countries. Uh, There's God's country, and then there's all those other countries. And it's not Texas, by the way. It's not God's or Florida. Um, what was I saying? Oh, yeah. Uh, the latter time. He's focused on this end time, this end time. And uh, for them, they would have seen it in these kingdoms. But as we know now, and as we put together what we see in the book of Revelation, we also see the end of time uh, totally, uh, the end of time, where these this king will arise. So there's a king that will arise in this uh, kingdom in this uh, uh, near time, but also in a future time. Uh, and at that latter end of their kingdom, and then he says this, this is the second part. So there's latter time. The second part, uh, the second thing that we learn is when transgressors have reached their end or their limit. Um, that's a tough one to understand, but it's the idea where, where sin uh, has reached fulf- fulfillment or uh, completeness. And that's kind of a weird thought, isn't it? Uh, when sin has reached uh, a sense of completeness. Um, I, I, want, I want to say this, too. This is not just worldly sin, but this is the sin of God's people, the Jews. Okay, And, and the picture here is not that God uh, isn't patient. He is patient. But because of his holiness, he will only lo- let it go on so far. And so when that time comes where he has uh, had it, he is done uh, with being patient, uh, this is when this king will arise uh, to bring about the end and then the judgment. And there, there's this tough picture for us is this, that uh, this king thought he was doing what he was going to do, and it was his plan to do this, that, and the other thing. Uh, but apart from God allowing him to do it, he wasn't going to be able to do it. And in the end... Antichrist will come and think he's got his own agenda and he's ruling the earth and he's going to take over uh, Christ's position. But that's not going to happen, but it will look like that and it will happen for time. Okay, And so for us to think about that, that when transgressions are full, uh, referring to God's people in the world, God won't take it anymore. Um. I think that's a, a good stopping point right now. And just remind, when you see wickedness, and there is wickedness in the world. Does anybody see wickedness in the world? Uh, so you've been watching the news. Uh, um, 
there are things going on. I, I shared with you last week that it catches me off guard. It truly does. Um, I, I think of myself as someone who's worldly wise, and I know what's going on, and I've been around the block a few times, and it shocks me. It shocks me what's going on in our world. And, and I want to say it's not happening, but the reality is it is happening. And so uh, as I look at that, it's important for me to remember that God isn't going to take it forever. He's not going to allow this to go on. And I can rejoice even in the midst of wicked days, knowing that God will bring an end to this. And this is part of his plan. And he will uh, bring about a judgment, a righteous judgment, uh, not one that is appointed by men, but uh, is, will be, it will be as he sees it, not as we present ourselves. And so know that um, this conclusion is a, about a time where transgressions are complete and that God will not take it any longer. It says of this leader uh, that um, in the middle of verse 23, it says, uh, a king of bold face who understands riddles. Um, those are some difficult words there, bold face. Uh, it, it's the idea of being a powerful and strong and able leader. Uh, he will be a man of power. Uh, he will present himself as someone uh, that is a strong leader. I think leadership's an interesting thing. I know that many of you have read books on it. You've studied it. You, you've identified great leaders. And I want to tell you that uh, this king, Antiochus Epiphanes, he was a great king as far as leaders went. He got things accomplished. He did things. And Antichrist, who is to come, will be a powerful leader. Uh, the, the first part being bold-faced is the idea of presenting himself as someone who can take charge. But the second part, it, you know, a bold-faced riddler, the idea of able to fi- figure things out. He'll be smart. He'll be able to to do the chess thing, right? To be able to see how things work together. And I I think so often we think of Jesus is smart, Satan is dumb, you know? And and don't think that way. Don't think that way. Uh, Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords and will win. But our enemy uh, is smart, is smart, and will be powerful and will seem powerful he goes on to say uh, in um, chapter 8, uh, looking down at verse, where was I? Um, looking down at verse 24. It says, His power shall be great, but not by his own power. Um this is an interesting way to say this because it alludes to two things. We see a powerful man. We see a powerful man. And, uh, but he, he makes the distinction here in this vision that there's uh, a power behind him. I, I would say it this way, a power of Satan behind him. Uh, pushing and, and causing him success and causing fear in the, the eyes of people and, and awe in others uh, the, as they see his power um, displayed in this time. 
we can see this also uh, in Revelation chapter 13, verse 2. You can look that up later. Uh, we see satanic powers behind the Antichrist. We move on in verse 24. Um, it says uh, in the middle there, it says, by, but not by his own power. And he shall cause fearful destruction. Fearful destruction. Um, it, it's hard to imagine this, but the, the wording here, the next two points really, um, are the idea of successful destruction. Uh that doesn't sound right, does it? Successful destruction, right? Um, I, I, I put it that way because I want you to see that there's, um, and I don't say that I want you to see, but that God wants Daniel to see in his vision that the appearance of both King uh, Antiochus Epiphanes, there's, a, there's some bold success that he has, as well as Antichrist, will have success, but his success will be the destruction of God's people. I look at this, and it's describing, it's describing that this man, or these men, um, will cause fearful destruction of God's people. He goes on to say, he says, uh, he shall cause fearful destruction and shall succeed in what he does and destroy mighty men and the people who are the saints. You see this destruction, this fearful destruction of God's people, but it will look like success. It'll, it'll look successful. Uh, it, it will look like a, just another political fight where he wins against his political enemies. He puts down mighty men, but he also puts it down the saints that are God's people, the nation of Israel. And so I'd say it this way. He's successful in destruction of Israel. Um, he destroys wonderfully. Um, I, I, as I was going through this, I think that this is one of the reasons why Hitler was thought of as an antichrist, right? Is because they knew that the destruction or the successful destruction was going to be of God's people, God's people, the Jews. And so uh, it would follow that Hitler was, uh, that they would have thought of him in this same way. Um, and I would say it this way, that he was not the Antichrist, he was an Antichrist. So we see successful destruction of Israel. Number six, we see deceitful success. Verse 25, uh, by his cunning he shall make deceit prosper under his hand. Um, once again, it puts these words that we wouldn't... Uh, uh, put together successful lying <laughs> successful lying um, we you know your kids have tried that on you before right successful lying uh, but w- when we look through the eyes of God there is no success in lying there is no deceit in lying uh, deceit in success but in this uh, king both the far representation as well as the near there was this deceitful success it was the means of success 
Um, I, I think we live in a world right now, and I, I, I want to s- tell you that I struggle with this all the time, especially recently, as I think about end times and what's going to happen and what's going on today. Um, we see a lot of crazy things going on today. Can I get an amen? Amen. Um, and when you see crazy things, uh, we've been taught to reject them. Now, that can't be true. That can't be true. And now we're going, yeah, it might be. <laughs> you know, seems plausible. You know, 2020, it could have happened in 2020. It certainly can happen in 2021, right? Uh, we see crazy things happening. I want to tell you that, that uh, God doesn't need the seeds to be growing, but don't say the seeds aren't going to be growing, okay? And w- what I mean by that is this, that uh, there might be pieces of what's going on right now that will be integral parts of these end-time tribulation events. But I want to tell you, too, he can bring those together in an instant as well. And so, or maybe he's doing them, uh, causing those things to come together outside of our vision uh, and the vision of most people. And so, uh, yes, yes and no. Um, but you, what you will see is deceitful success. And, and I look at this and I go, uh, you know, we used to talk about the, the ends justify the means, right? We used to talk about that. Now we just say, oh, it's just the way things are, right? Uh, it's a helpful lie. It's a helpful deception, you know? Uh, it's okay because it was for some good that I thought in my mind to deceive people to do this, that, and the other thing. And I go, as we see things, we should say, no. What is the truth? What is the truth? I don't want to hear a helpful lie. I want to hear the truth. And so uh, we see in this uh, one that is to come, or these two that are to come, uh, we see them as being uh, having deceitful success. Number seven, verse 25, it says, By cunning he shall make the deceitful prosper under his hand. The second part of that, and in his own mind he shall become great. And in his own mind he shall become great. And what this is, this is an exaltation of himself within himself. Um, to think himself great. To think himself great. And really this is, I would say this, that this is at the core of Antichrist, Antichrist, and the spirit of Antichrist. To exalt yourself. Exalt yourself. Um, this should be a warning to us, right? The idea of exalting ourselves, being proud of ourselves, thinking ourselves greater than others. We just That's not from God. That's not from God. In fact, uh, that's more connected with the spirit of Antichrist than anything. It's a, it's a core of who he will be and who others who follow after him will be like. They will be lovers in their own heart of themselves, exalting themselves. You should always see yourself as a peer to everybody else and in reality take the place of Jesus who lowered himself, willing to serve. Um, This is the difference between Antichrist and the real Christ. Um, He exalts himself and 
Christ humbled himself. We go on, uh, moving on, verse, um, verse 25 again. Uh, he says, be great, uh, shall become, In his own mind he shall become great. And then it says, Without warning he shall destroy many. Without warning he shall destroy many. Meaning this, there will be a false peace. There will be a false comfort. Everything's going great. Everything's going great. It seems like this new king's just doing great. Things are getting better. I'm getting, you know, you know, the economy's really booming right now. And things are cheap. Things are cheap, you know, not like they are today. But things are cheap and money's free and it's all good. And we're seeming to have all this prosperity. This must be a good king. He's brought about peace and prosperity to us. And then without warning, what does it say? Without warning, uh, having been lulled to sleep with insecurity, there will be a destruction of many. Another mark of what this day will be like, these kings uh, that will bring about this destruction, both the, the near and the far. And... I'll just say it this way, the far might be near, okay? Uh, Think about that. Prepare for that. The far might be near. Like these events, the secondary events, the Antichrist himself, it may be near. I don't say that lightly in a sense to scare you. I say that as a pastor that you might prepare. Um, That these things, uh, this world, uh, things are happening, okay? Okay. So, uh, number nine. So there's a false peace. Number nine, there's an opposition to the prince. There's an opposition to the prince. If you look down at verse 25 again, it says this, and he shall even rise up against the prince of princes, and he shall be broken. Uh, The prince of princes. Uh, Struggle between that. It doesn't describe it. It does sound like, because he says prince of princes, it uh, connects easily to the Lord of Lords, King of Kings, which is an identification of Jesus. And so as we see uh, Antiochus Epiphanes, not knowing of Jesus, rising himself up against the true God, thinking of himself as Zeus more powerful, making sacrifice to himself, we see Antichrist in the future, knowing who Christ is, knowing what has come, what Christ has accomplished, uh, setting himself up, rising up, lifting himself up above and against the Prince of Princes, the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, Jesus. He opposes the Prince. Uh, He sees himself as higher than the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Um, and then lastly, it says this, that he will be, uh, he shall be broken, uh, but by no human hand, he shall be broken. In fact, uh, you see this talking about the other kings and kingdoms, and then he was broken, meaning that then he was dead. He was broke beyond repair, you know, he, he was done with, Right. But it says something interesting here. It says broken by no hum- or by no hand, uh, probably referring to no human hand. Uh, 
a lot of kings, how do they die? Uh, they're either assassinated or in battle, uh, they suffer a mortal wound and they're dead. Um, interestingly enough, Antiochus Epiphanes, history tells us that he died of the flu. I don't think it was the coronavirus. Uh, might have been. I don't know. Uh, why did I bring that up? Um, he died of the flu. It wasn't some grand, you know, uh, that's, that's always a, a comical, you know, he's this great king, this great warrior, and it's not this grand battle that he's fighting. He died of the flu, you know, uh, not by human. Someone didn't kill him. If you look in, uh, if you would look at Antichrist, how things are going to end up for him, it's not going to be that good. Uh, in Revelation 19, uh, you see the white horse of Jesus coming in and him be banished in the lake of fire, right? He's done. It won't be because of men. It will be because it comes at the hand of the one he was trying to uh, usurp and as part of the plan of the Father worked out in these end times, he will be broken or removed, not by human hand. Uh I know that's a lot. I know that's a lot. But I want to uh, just contrast something right now. Um, John eight forty four. John eight forty four. Larry's going to put those up for me, is he? You're on it, Larry. Thank you. Um, John eight forty four. Uh, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, and he is. They're seeking to kill him. They're seeking to kill him. He knows that. They don't know that he knows that, but he likes to talk about things that they don't know that he knows just to show that he knows it. Um, but uh, they're bragging about uh, their relationship with their father, Abraham, and he says, you know, I'm, I'm before Abraham, you know. I, I know about Abraham. He was a part of, I'm a part of that plan. I'm above Abraham. And they're, you know, ready to grasp him and, and take, take him over. And Jesus says something important to them as uh, part of the spirit of Antichrist. What does he say? He says in verse 44, you are of your father, the devil, and you and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. And I look at this and I go, Jesus marks what uh, Daniel was revealed in this vision to him, this idea of lying, lying, deceiving, and following in that. Uh, And where does this come from? This comes from the devil and his character. And then uh, skipping a couple chapters over, John 10, uh, Jesus once again, uh, he contrasts himself uh, as he's talking. He's trying to reveal who he is in a different way, better than, much better than, not like those other leaders. And he says this, verse 10, he says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come, I have came, I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. Uh, Larry, if you could pull up verse 11 as well. Jesus says the thief comes to ruin or destroy 
That's what he brings about. And as you look at this, you see this in Antiochus Epiphanes' uh, kingdom, but you also see this in uh, the Antichrist, what he is to do. He steals, kills, and destroys by lies and by what he does. And Jesus says this, I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. And I I want you to get that, that, that what we have in Christ is life and life abundantly. Doesn't matter what's going on out there, you know, what's going on on the news or what's going on uh, outside of here. We have, because of Jesus, why he came is that we might have life and life abundantly. And Jesus said this in verse 11 I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I, I, want, I want you to be confident in this, to know this, that Jesus said he was the good shepherd, and then he laid down his life for the sheep. He will hold you to the end. He will bring you home. This is the confidence that we have. This is what is different than these other leaders who are really no leaders at all or just uh, bad, deceptive uh, counterfeits of the only leader that we should follow, and his name is Jesus. Well, we see the conclusion to this vision. Uh, Verse 26, uh, the vision of the evenings and the mornings that that has been told is true, uh, but seal up the vision, for it refers to many days from now. Um, Verse 26, if you look up at verse 14, remember we talked about that number, 2300 and i do think looking at it again a little bit more i told you last week i didn't know what i was talking about i still don't know what i'm talking about but i do think that that is uh the numbers of the days of this uh near king near king of 2300 that that was a time period that he uh reigned some some form of it in 2300 he refers to this again, the vision of more evenings and mornings that has been told is true, meaning that he will have a time or a shelf life. And then he says, but seal up the vision for it refers to many days from now. He says to Daniel, he says, this, whatever's going on is going to be many days from now, many days from now. And Daniel says, that didn't give him much comfort. We'll see that in a moment, but uh, it is many days from now. Uh, I would say it this way. Daniel had this vision and wrote this many days previous to this. Okay? So we are definitely within the band of many days from now. He wrote this now, could be today. Okay. Um, Refers back to verse 14. Days limited for Antiochus Epiphanes. These things uh, were to happen in the future we are living in the future now. And I just remind you that Daniel, Daniel's response to this, uh, verse 27, And I, Daniel, was overcome and lay sick for some days. Then I arose and went about the king's business, but I was appalled by the vision and did not understand it. Um. Let me, let me just point out a few things. I think there's a huge practical thing in here. I, I don't know if I'm reading it right. But first of all, uh, as Daniel saw this vision, and we just get a little bit, right? We, we don't get all the color and all the details that we want. Most of us want to see more. This would be a great movie. Um, 
but it'd be scary movie, definitely scary movie with not a, you know, happy ending for those who are on the wrong team. Uh, what does Daniel say? He says he was sick for days. He was sick for days. Uh, he was overcome. And uh, I want to tell you that as you read this, you say, oh, that doesn't sound that bad. That's because you don't understand it. Because for Daniel, who had seen a lot of crazy things, right? Had Daniel seen a lot of crazy things? A lot of war, a lot of devastation. Uh, how many of you have been uh, taken into captivity when you were 15? You know, uh, uh, this is a, a, a guy who had seen a lot. And he said that as he was living this out, uh, he said, I was overcome and I lay sick for some days. Okay, so know this, that this was uh, an amazing thing that sickened him in such a way that he was in bed. So what did he do? He said, then I rose and went about the king's business. Why did he go about the king's business? It was his job. It was his job. He had a job. He had stuff to do. Do you have stuff to do? Some of you have a job. And you say, oh, just, you know, it's just too hard to work right now. The world's a crazy place. You know what God wants you to do? Take care of your family. Do your job. Do your job. Go about doing what he has for you to do today. And uh, for some of you, that might be figuring out what he has for you to do today, right? But do something. Do something. Um, yeah. Uh, do something. That, 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 that's, and watching the news is not doing something. It's not. Sitting down worrying about what's going on in the world of things that no one's going to call you about. No one's going to ask your opinion, you know. You're not a big player. You're not king of anything or queen of anything. So, so you have, he was sick for days, but he had to go to his job. Had to do, and, and I encourage you, like, for, and, and I, this was good for me to hear. This was good for me to hear. I can get as wound up as the, I, I bet you I can get just as wound up as you can. Try me. Thankful Rebecca is not here to say amen. Um, he's sick for days. He was, did his job, but he says this. He says, but I, w- I was appalled by, my, by the vision and did not understand it, meaning that even as he went about his work, he was still bothered by it. He was still bothered. He was appalled by what was to come, and he didn't understand it. And what's funny about that is that he's the only one who could have understood it, right? He had a vision, he wrote it down, and so you say, well, I don't really understand. Join the club. Daniel would say, join the club. We're with it. I'm in this with you together, you know. Uh, uh, he was appalled by his vision. Why? Because it was more than he could handle. It was bigger uh, than he could describe, and he didn't understand it. Three things. I want to give you three things just as we close. And these are similar uh, to what we looked at last week. The first one is this. The enemy is powerful and will be successful. The enemy is powerful and will be successful, but will lose. But will lose. Very important for you to remember. He will lose. He will lose. He is not the victor. He may win a battle, but he will not win the war. Uh, He's powerful. He will be successful, but he will lose. Second thing 
These events at the end and the conclusion are sickening and appalling. Don't be surprised. Don't be surprised by that. Uh, It's God winning over wickedness, and wickedness shows itself to be wicked. It's not going to be dressed up in the end. Uh, It will be revealed to be sickening and appalling. And then thirdly, uh, the plan of God is for this, is for this. His desire, uh, his future plan is to permanently put down the rebellion to his son Jesus in dramatic fashion. It's going to be a dramatic loss. He will display to all that he is the victor. Um, This is the plan of God. I, I, I think often in our arrogance, we say, well, I wouldn't have done it that way. And that's so funny for us to even uh, verbalize, right? You know, I wouldn't have done it that if I were God. <laughs> that's crazy for for us to even say that. You live in Tehachapi. God wouldn't live in Tehachapi, right? Small, insignificant. I, I want to tell you. I want to tell you. It's very important for you to get. Um, that our lives are meant to be in submission and humility to God and, and to, to see his plan, his future plan, and go, there it is. I'm in. I'm in. I'm trying to figure it out. I'm trying to uh, get in step with that because this is his plan. If this is his plan, I'm in. I rejoice. I long for the day because this is his plan, and he's got us in this time and this place, in this situation. Uh, and so we're going to walk with him in these days. God, thank you for this morning. God, I ask that you would cause us to gain more confidence in you as we look at your word. Help us not to be fearful. Uh, Help us not to be arrogant and proud uh, and be part of the spirit of Antichrist, but rather that we would follow our Savior, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the one who went to the cross on our behalf, the one who loves us, and the one who is the love offering that you love the world so much that you sent your son. God, thank you uh, for all that you have done. Help us to cling to the gospel, the gospel of Jesus, and it's in his name we pray. Amen.